everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. Of course, we have two sponsors for it. We always have two here in the Shop Talk. You know, the perfect number, really. Environments for Humans are promoting their RWD Summit, which we can tell you all about later. It's coming up pretty quick here, March 10th through 12th. Use coupon code Shop Talk for 20% off. That's the coupon code we like. You know, go to any website, try that. <laughs> and one month, this is excellent, like learning course that, you know, the whole idea of the course is to learn something really deeply. In one month, they're promoting their iOS course. Uh, offering an excellent deal for Shop Talk Show listeners exclusively. Best deal ever. OneMonth.com slash Shop Talk iOS is the URL you want to go to to get that deal. Uh, and we'll tell you more about both of those things later in the show. Mm. <laughs> Episode of the Shop Talk Show, the world's only podcast. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Goyer. Yeah, that it's was a pretty that cool, was a pretty standard opener, Dave. Pretty cool. We we invented podcasting here, Sorry, right? On the show, we're the only one. Is that has that like an FCC joke? No, but we could talk about FCC. We could in a just, minute, but let's say let's say that the, again. Thanks everybody for listening to Shop Talk Show. We have Aaron. Uh, uh, oh God, it <laughs> mentally rhymes with Jim. God, I ruined it. I had it in my mind, and then we were talking about the rhyming, and it just disappeared from my drive. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, <laughs> Mister <Thanks>. Excellent. <laughs> Um, um, Mr. Electric Pulp is there, is your alternative name. One of the misters. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I'd like to know more about that. There's a, there's a bunch of interesting things to talk about. One is just, you've been at it in the agency land for just a long time. Uh, would you want to just tell us about work and what you do and where it came from and stuff? I think that would set the stage. Yeah, nicely. sure. Uh, so we have been doing it for a long time. It's been, uh, you know, we keep talking about this 20-year mark coming up pretty soon. It's actually uh, 19 right now, and that years is old. years old. It Jeez. has gotten a little more official, maybe, and a little more uh, professional over the years. When it started out, it was uh, a mm-hmm. lot more like freelance uh, for the yeah. first few years. Sending like Google Docs invoices. <laughs> you know, uh, Google Docs it wasn't even close to being a thing. It was, it was, <laughs> oh, yeah. it was much, much uh, lower than that. But, you know, Stefan and Michael uh, were actually in college when everything first got started. It was like their last year in. And I was, uh, I was as well, but uh, we hadn't even met yet. So Stefan and Michael were, were doing it for a few years before uh, I even caught up to them. Uh, but since, uh, since day one, it's always been web development. We've been very focused on that. We kind of got pulled, uh, or, you know, attempted to be pulled into the print land and television land. Uh, really the only thing that we swayed from web to do for a short period of time was like these kiosks, you know, you do these, uh, mm. you know, 
back in the the shockwave. Best type, Buy uh, wants to sell or you know totally the, sell the more onsa- sh- yep. shades. The so. point of purchase type thing, uh-huh. uh, but we didn't do a lot of that either. It's it's been pretty much web from the beginning. What the, the biggest thing that's changed for us is probably our market. Uh, when we started out, it was uh, it was all on site visits. You know, run out, meet with people, hopefully get a job. You know, repeat. Now there's uh, a, a lot more of it is kind of inbound requests or you know word of mouth, whatever. So clients have kind of spread nice. out. Uh, they find you these days. Yeah, and on a good day. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is it's yeah it's pretty interesting stuff. You've done you've got a chance to do some pretty pretty hardcore good work, right? You have some clients that are just kind of I don't know jaw dropping clients. Just I'm sure to, to some people that run agencies, Ford, Google. I'm looking yeah, at, you've done a bunch of Daily Show Cold stuff, Bear. which is pretty rad. Yeah, yeah, Colbert. Uh, so yeah, those. Uh, uh, have gotten certainly a lot bigger than when we started out. And a lot of that is just kind of growth. You, you get 19 years, uh, and some of that's just going to happen as long as you kind of consistently do pretty good work and you, you know, you, you're not jerks. Uh, a, a lot of that kind of just the energy kind of works for you. Uh, there's still, you know, you're having to go out and hunt, but we didn't go out and, and uh, you know, pitch, cold call. The Colbert team, and then got pitch or anything like that. You know, they found us, uh, and that wouldn't really happened two years in. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, you know, one of those word of mouth things. Someone, uh, it's possible it was Guy Kawasaki, I forget now, had said something to somebody who, you know, it got back to nice. one of the key writers on their team, and he contacted us. And I mean, it was, uh, we actually had a call from from Steven coming to the main line. So it was, yeah, it was one of those. Everybody shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I I think it took a few minutes to believe it. And actually he was off the phone call by the time anyone actually believed it was him. Was he all business on the phone or was he funny on the phone? Well, I mean, he was, he was being funny by being all business. I think when he called in, that was kind of his thing. Uh, You know, we've, he's been on the phone a few times, but usually we're, we're talking to his team and, and, uh, they are every bit is you know is, is funny, is clever, all of that stuff. So fun to work mm-hmm. with them, and uh, you know the teams at at Ford and uh, some of the other big uh, groups that we work with. You know, it's uh, it's a Ford and Nissan, and these very very large companies will end up having these small core teams that end up being incredibly cool too. Like you would never expect the the casual nature coming out of these big companies like that. So we've we've had really good luck finding fun clients, good clients. They're demanding, but they uh, uh, yeah. they're pretty laid back about life. Do you find that? Um, I think we've you know, I've talked to Jessica Hish in the past who says that some of the like really good clients she gets that are like, of course I'm going to say yes. What a cool client tend to be the ones that like uh, don't pay as much as you know like she when she does movie work and stuff. It's like that's really fun. Of course she's going to do it. But or I was thinking like, does is Cobera a good client not only in visibility and stuff, but do they have money too, or do you have to just be like, well that's such a good opportunity we're going to do it despite uh. the fact that they don't have any money. Well. Uh, I'm not going to out them specifically uh, in general. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course not. I should. <laughs> and and you definitely have that case though, where some of them you kind of have to look at it and say, "We're going to do that one way or another." Uh, but the good clients are always reasonable about it, and uh, you know we're not we're not in the business to be doing free work. Uh, it has to be a you know right. something that's pretty close to your heart and not you know close to. Uh, you know, not just something that you enjoy, that you're a fan of for us to, to get into that kind of talk. But 
Uh, Colbert has been good. All of them have been good. The, the larger companies, I don't see that at all. We get the typically the larger companies have more at stake, uh, so they're willing to put more into the project. Now, mm. uh, that's not always the case. You'll have, you know, I can see where some of these films and books and all of these things maybe have uh, smaller goals, you know, marketing budgets, all of that. But we haven't found, we haven't had much trouble with that. That's nice. And so there's a dozen of you or so, is that about right? Uh, 14, yep. 14, cool. And and, 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 and in a slightly unusual location, it's probably, it's about, you probably get the same, you know, I live in Milwaukee, also not known as a tech hub, probably (laughs) similar to Sioux Falls, huh? Yeah, uh, so we're off the trail, and uh, you know, anytime Greg's story is always the worst. Anytime we talk to him, you have to kind of justify to him why we live here. Uh, uh-huh. he, he's kidding partially, but uh, <laughs> well, he left a bigger city for a smaller city at one point in his life, right? From SF to to Austin, even though they're both fairly large. But uh, yeah, but we're on a different. Yeah, we're we're talking about <laughs> a different level. Uh, uh, it's. Just up I thirty five, really. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> your bro- yeah, Dave, uh, your brother uh, was here. From, you're probably familiar with Sioux Falls yep. more so uh, than most people would be, and it's it's definitely you know it comes up in conversation. But I think over time, less and less, you know, there's a big part of it where the client doesn't really care where we're from, and we actually have clients that we've never made, met face to face before. We certainly have a lot of clients that we start out the relationship not having met face-to-face because uh, we're typically, we come in a little bit different than some of our peers. We usually come in, uh, come in under pretty heavy deadlines. So we need to, you know, do some work pretty rapidly. And part of that is the discovery period where uh, we're trying to do a lot of that remotely given uh, what a client's trying to do and a timeline, uh, you know, so that happens a lot. And in a case like that, the only downside to living in Sioux Falls is that we end up having to take connecting flights, which is a pain. But mm-hmm. other than that, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's less of a thing. And again, over time, it's kind of become less of a conversation. When we first started working so heavily with uh, clients from outside of the area, that came up a lot. You know, the question is like, well, if you're in Sioux Falls, you know, are we going to fit culturally? Like, what are we going to talk about, you know, while we're waiting for the meeting to start? Uh, but again, I don't I don't I don't get that feeling anymore. So I think you pretty much do it from anywhere. And uh, part of our team, you know, I said we're at 14. Half the team is out of the office also. So we have a remote team. We have a distributed team. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. That's kind of a follow up question is like, well, sure. Great. But what about hiring? And, you know, yeah, well. I mean, uh, we do, uh, we pick up all of our new hires off of authentic jobs. It's been that way for a little while. Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, because that is our uh, community or market. I'm trying not to use buzzy words, but the community isn't really the geographic, you know, the circle around our our metro area or anything like that anymore. It's more just like like like-minded people and they're all over the place. So if we've gotten good at talking to clients, you know, remotely, uh, kind of just goes to, uh, you know, it's safe to assume that we can talk with our internal team that well, too. So for us, uh, you know, remote communication is just 
part of what we do. It's just kind of built into the. I think that's fantastic. I think it's not only it's not only like efficient and all that, but I like hearing when companies do that because then you hire some people, then their expectation is that they can do that, and that you know the more people that do it, the more people have that expectation, the more our industry gets there. I just think it's it's like important stuff. Yeah, it is, and and I do think that there's there are some conditions uh, that. Uh, I, I think it's it's beneficial to have people in the same room, and some of that is is kind of sporadic. But others, you know, when we're working with like planning a project, uh, project managers being in the same room with us, I find very important. Uh, mm-hmm. Developers, uh, I find a lot less important. I'm, it's, it's more a skill set and a fit, you know, like a, a, a right. work fit. Where uh, with project manager, where we're dealing very closely with project planning, uh, ongoing basis. That's a lot more important for me to be in the same office. So really it kind of, it, we're distributed, but we're also, uh, you know, there's maybe light rules to that. Again, the project managers are all here uh, in Sioux Falls. Cool. Yeah, makes, makes perfect sense, really. Uh, let's see, we got, well, there's a lot of stuff. All this stuff is going to, I'm sure, come up in conversation as we do some more questions, but let's do a little, uh, let's do a little errata and news and stuff before we get into the meat and potatoes Q and a portion of it. What do you got, Dave? Is some, Dave was, was thinking about slugging a couple of whiskeys this morning. It's, it's been a, it's a big day. <laughs> Net neutrality. So today the FCC made a ruling on net neutrality and they are kind of our only friend in the government. (laughs) Um, And I think, so here's the status. Okay. Net neutrality. uh, We, I am of the strong opinion that we need it, right? We need a level playing field. Tim Berners-Lee kind of designed the web to like make sure all data is treated the same in you know, telecoms and cable companies, they want to charge you extra for Netflix or they charge Netflix extra for uh, the right speed on their network. Um, so we, we kind of like the, uh, there was no power. So they made the ruling to go to title two, which is like a uh, that that's like a hmm, like basically it's treated as a utility like electricity or power or, or water or, you know, what a utility is. But so now they're, they want to make a move or they made a motion to treat internet as a utility. It's going to go through a bunch of lawyers and stuff like that. So I, that, I has an, that, that like might happen now or closer to that happening than not happening. Yes. We're super closer. Cause there was like, they, they were kind of siding with the cable companies like, Last time they did a press conference, they were kind of like, yeah, we think fast lanes are sweet. Like, like, you know, like companies should have to pay for faster connection to their users, you know, uh, which if you, it's fine if you, you like feel that, but like, if you're kind of into like a, uh, I don't know, equality, like all data should be treated equally. Um, that's like, that's. I don't know. It's foundational to the internet, you might say. Uh, anyway, so but it's interesting. So now, so if we're treating you, this as a utility, now it's like government regulated, and we all are probably fans of the government <laughs> and their competency in 
So it's good because it's a utility, maybe, but bad because it's government regulated, maybe. Possibly, possibly. And that's that's the criticism from the more uh, telecommunication conservative side is is that it is now it's a uh, it's Obamacare for the internet, I believe, is what Ted Cruz, a senator from Texas, my my own senator, has said. So. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. It's interesting. I, what do you, do you guys have any thoughts on how the internet should be regulated or not regulated? Aaron, how many thoughts do you want? I want the top three. (laughs) (laughs) When, when this first came up, the last thing I was thinking, uh, that would be good, uh, was to regulate it through a government office of any kind. And, that was I was thinking, you know, competition is going to allow uh, all of that to figure itself out. So if, if if one company is, you know, has a restrictor plate put on uh, Amazon streaming video or something like that, you just go to the next company. But the reality is that these uh, you get your internet the same way that you get your cable TV today, uh, and th- these companies have become. If not monopolies, you know they might as well might as well just call them monopolies. You really don't have a lot of good options. And in a case by case basis, if if something happens, you know all of a sudden starts to happen uh, where you are getting slower speeds, jumping to the next providers is really pretty difficult. So competition, it's not one of those things where. Uh, it's going to affect the business. And and the companies who are providing the access understand that. So they they kind of are in a case where they have all the leverage and none of the concerns. So they can slow things down. So I I kind of switched gears. And I started thinking, well, a little bit of government regulation is a good thing. And I think all in all, you know, where we're at today, as of, you know, right now, I think is a pretty good thing. If, If it had gone the other way, and uh, it was more on the cable company side where they were able to uh, self-govern this. I, I think we would have had a lot of trouble uh, and we would have, you know, all of our clients would have been scrambling to try to figure some things out. It wouldn't have been an immediate impact, but uh, it would have been like a slow creep towards uh, all of the smaller players having a, having a heck of a time compete, competing. So that, that wasn't three. That was like one and a half one and a half. That's good. Okay, I'll That's turn good. it over then. Chris, I just um, I I think it's going better than I thought it would. I think it's amazing that the government hasn't just been totally stepped in and <laughs> have complete control over this whole thing. The fact that we still maintain pretty much do whatever you want on the internet right now is just awesome, and we should keep it that way. Yeah, it's it's cool, but it's like also its biggest issue too you know like i can send anonymous death threats because the internet has no rules absolutely it's probably mostly testament to it's too hard to really strictly regulate nerds are Mm -hmm. too smart anyway i don't know i'm not that full of opinions on it just mostly because i just don't have opinions on most things well you want css related (laughs) You just, it's one of those things you just you don't want to have to think about it too much. I think had the ruling gone the other way, we all would have all had to start thinking about it. It's 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 similar to the tax moratorium that it's, it's kind of a leave it alone. It seems to be working model. There are all these like 
subsurface problems, but nobody wants to have to think about them. If if things change, then all of a sudden, I, I think then we all start looking at what it actually means, and that's where you know all kinds of all kinds of issues. I just want those those tweets to go away. Those you know, what if the internet downloaded oh, one word at a time? Kind uh, of tweets. I had to weigh in with that with my jerk account. <laughs> my dark Twitter. You guys all have dark, dark Twitter. Dark Twitter. Oh, dark Twitter. I know. I might have to get. I don't up even dark know. Twitter. I'm not even on Dave's dark Twitter. That's how secret it has to be. Oh, I, I cannot permit you, Chris. I know. <laughs> it's too dark. Thoughts. Too dark. I know. Too dark. I know. Yeah. That's what it's for, though. It's to have a you know your <laughs> darkest dark. I love it. <laughs> Uh, I want to tell you, um, we, you know, occasionally we say on Chop Talk Show, write in when you guys do something really cool and tell us about it because, I don't know, we enjoy that and sometimes we can share those things and, like, that's part of the fun of Shop Talk Show. Russell Heimlich writes in, he uh, just had a daughter. Congratulations, Russell. And built a website uh, for her and he makes it public. So it's at zadieheimlich.com. I can post the link in the show notes. And he just told us about how he built the site. It's because he wanted to share photos of his daughter, you know. Uh, so he said he's using the real-time API from Instagram to pull in photos that have the hashtag of his daughter. So that's pretty cool. The photos then, he downloads them and saves them to a local server. So it's like safety, you know, in case Instagram ever shuts down or whatever. He doesn't just hotlink them from Instagram. He built a thing to actually download the photos and save them. He's using WordPress as part of this, so he down puts them in the media library. And he says, don't worry, I've whitelisted the usernames for just my wife and I. So if they post one, it automatically gets downloaded in there. But if anybody else publishes one, then there's an approval step and he has to hit approve for them to be published on the site. So that's cool, thinking about safety and trolls and spam and whatever else. Uh, and that's just part of it. He goes on and on to explain to how he built the site, but he also, it's, it's open source. It's on GitHub, so we'll throw the link in there. If you have an interest in building like a, a photo site that kind of auto-builds itself from hashtags, pretty neat. Thanks for sharing, Russell. Again, the links will be in the show notes. Maybe we should do a little Q&A, huh? Let's go. This one comes from Max, writes in, for Aaron, I have been looking at Electric Pulp's website and I love the fonts you've used. I'm picking fonts for a project in, in the making and was wondering if there was an efficient way to do this. I've seen many font pairing sites such as fontpair.co, and they look nice, but they don't fit into my project. I'm a relative beginner at fonts, and also I don't know where to begin. Thanks, Max. So do you have any tips for font pairing? Wow. Font pairing, I think, is... Or how, how do you approach design, I guess, at Electric Pulp? First? It's pretty easy. Uh, we just let Stefan do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, font pairing is something that is... Uh, either you know it or you don't know it. And uh, I fall into the don't know it category myself, where, like, Stefan... Uh, not only will he be able to look at two fonts and say, yeah, they pair... Well, he'll he'll know he'll be familiar enough with the fonts already, uh, where I have to kind of see them. Uh, so you can go into something like Typekit, and and uh, even use some of their own tools to start pairing them together. But uh, I'm going to be honest: the way that that, that I, I go about things like that, or the way that I did, you know, 100 years ago, you just kind of look at the source. It's one of those things that 
it's, it's pretty easy to see what other people have done. And that's why, I mean, there's a reason why there are uh, fad fonts, you know, fonts that get really popular. It's because everybody is looking at everybody's work. And, and really, that's the start of it. You just kind of have to, if you see a site that you look like, just kind of go in and see what fonts are using. Just like you always used to have to look at the code to see how somebody did a, a hover event or something like that. Same kind of a thing. Just kind of look at what others are doing. Sure. Cool. Was that I'm sure there's very few people. That, that was me hitting myself. <laughs> like dunk, dunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The analog <laughs> clogging yeah. style. My Foley. I'm like a have coconuts. I like. Yeah. I think that's extremely true. I think most good font pairings that you see out in the wild were probably like I saw this and it looked awesome and I stole it because there's very few of us on Earth that like have the like typographic you know schooling. To be able to be like, oh, I like the ascenders on this bad boy. You see how the S curves and stuff? <laughs> right. That probably echoes the sans serif that does that same way. You know, and I, I like that stuff and I love reading about it, you know, and, 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 and knowing stuff. And I'm not totally ignorant as all that about it. But, but still, when it comes down to it, I, can, I, I love looking at a bunch of example pairings and be like, you know what, that, that speaks to me. That seems like it has this type of feeling that works with the content that I'm working with. So maybe I'll go for it or maybe I'll make some slight adjustments to it or whatever. There's lots of sites that show you two fonts together that look wonderful. Fontpair.co, I haven't even seen before. That one looks great. We'll throw it in the show notes. Um, here's a really great one. Um, at fembot.github.io slash google dash type. I know that's a lot for the radio. We'll we'll have links to all this one, but it's 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 this page handpicked tales from Aesop's fables uh, with Google fonts, and it's kind of user submitted, but they're so awesome. Uh, you know, just little like titles and text set with some images that just look wonderful together. Type Wolf has a page of tons of, of font pairings. Um, there's a classic one at hellohappy.org with. Uh, yes. Yeah. Have you seen that one? With This is my go to. I, I pulled it up because I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. Yeah, it's just a really nice one that sets type in nice ways together. And then, and then, you know, what I th- what I thought Aaron was going to say was with view source, which is a really good point. But the source of the font is a good bet too. Yeah. You know, like if you grab a font from Hoffler and Co, it's going to be a pretty nice font. You know, whether it works for your project or not is another matter. But at least the quality of the font will be high. You know, uh, so we'll put all those links in the show notes. And good luck, Max. All right, Sean. Scooby, Scoob. Sorry, Sean. What is your opinion on using inline styles versus creating a very specific one-off class? Should inline styles always be verboten? Does that mean forbidden, or is verboten a word? I've never heard of it. Especially in large site with many developers. Uh, Are inline styles ever okay, Aaron? No. <laughs> no exceptions. <laughs> done. We're done. You know, if uh, I, I personally, I, I think for manageability and you know, just keeping everything in the repo in the right places. So it, it all depends. If you're if you're working with a team, I have a little bit different approach. I just think that the code should be where anyone would expect it to be. You know, like stuff with like stuff, and. Uh, you know, when you put versioning into play, I, I think that it should all be in the same place. There are cases, there are always cases and exceptions, but, you know, maybe you have some gross uh, 
CMS or some kind of tech platform that uh, just is not going to let you get into, uh, you know, the, the the same place you would normally put it. And inline style has, serves a purpose. I just personally don't like that uh, that route. I, I try to avoid that if at all possible. I think I think that's fair. What do you think, Dave? I, yeah, I mean, well, it, let me set the stage for you for a scene where someone might might try to make the case that it is fair. They mean like, okay, this is truly a one-off class. It's going to be used absolutely nowhere else on the site. Um, do I want to put it in this document? Like, where do you even put it in the CSS then? It just feels weird. Like, I know that this is an absolutely one-off style, so why can't I just throw it on the element and not, like, confuse my CSS? That would be, like, a counter-argument <laughs> that I just made up. Go. It's good. Uh, I mean, that's where I was going to say. I Like, I think everything you should code should be recyclable. You know, that's that's my web standard Southern gentleman talking. Colonel W standards. Colonel W B standards does believe. Uh, I would never mix content and style, I do declare. You are um, cruising for a bruising. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sweet Dixie. um so don't like the rule of thumb is don't do it but it's just like are you doing some hacky stuff around an avatar uploader and you only have one avatar uploader for your website sure like i'm not your boss (laughs) but (laughs) if it's like your post for for like your blog post yeah, you should probably, I don't know, like, yeah, you should, you just kind of want, like, if it's in a CSS file, it's maintainable. Otherwise, you if think about if you handed this project off, it's like, you're basically saying, hey, new guy, go hunt, figure it out. I made it super complicated for you. Um, so that's why you should keep oh. everything. Good point. I like that yeah, one. Yeah, it's it's definitely there's a lot of shaming going on with my answers. Like if I uh, if I was to say no inline's cool, uh, it, it is cool. If I'm the only one who is, if I have to justify it only to myself. But the minute mm-hmm. that someone else is going to get in there, I mean, it just it, it's it's just a hassle. Mm-hmm. You think you're only going to use it once, but you won't. You know, you might. What if you do want to use it a second time, and and you have to fight against it because it's you know it's really strong uh, 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 specificity when you do it that way, and you, you know you forget that it's even there, and when a redesign comes along, and you're like, oh crap, that's not the right place for that. That's how so weird and. Uh, it just, it just, it will bite you. You know, tem- I've used it from time to time. I've even convinced myself that, hey, maybe I'll, maybe I'll write a blog post about why it's okay sometimes. And then I'm like, oh, just kidding. It that bit me again. You know, it's just, it's one of those line in the sand things. Just like you think it's a good idea, but nope, I've drawn a line in the sand. I do not do this. I do not use IDs to style. I do not use, you know, in uh, inline styles ever. It's just kind of like it's just a best performance that's going to serve you well. Mm-hmm. Let me do a sponsor. We have the RWD Summit. I'm sure everybody speaking at the RWC Summit will agree that inline styles are a bad idea. Can you imagine them for RWD? You can't write a media query in inline style, or can you? Gosh, I've never even thought of that. I bet you maybe you could. <laughs> I don't know. What, what would an app media query do in a style attribute? Unknown. 
That's <laughs> it would be a really bad idea. But there's yet another reason why you wouldn't do it. What if you you know you you're using an inline style to put padding on the bottom of something? Well, what if you want to adjust that padding a little bit when when a breakpoint hits? You know, bad idea. So okay, the RWD summit is coming up pretty quick now. It's the end of February, and this is at the start of March. But you know, you'll have like a week to decide essentially when the show comes out. Um, so you know. Get on it. It's March 10th through 12th. It's three days. You can attend any of the days that you want or or preferably all of them. When you buy a ticket, use coupon code SHOPTALKSHOW to get 20% off of it. Tammy Everts talking about the state of the union for e-commerce page speed and web performance. A uh, pretty good plan there, right? Because RWD, of course, has grown up to have conversations about all things web. You know, it's not just like how to do media queries in CSS. It's like, how do we make websites good, work well on all kinds of devices? That's what the, that's what the RW, you know, that's what responsive web design has kind of grown up to mean responsible as part of, part of RWD. Uh, Dave's talking about RWD bloat, which is a fantastic talk you don't want to miss. I'll be there talking about SVG stuff. Uh, Laura Franz talking about RWD typography. Lots to talk about there. Rachel Andrew talking about brand new CS and stuff, grids and flexbox and stuff. It is three days of hardcore uh, web talk and action. Can't wait. Please come chat us up. Anyway, let's do some more. Let's do a couple more questions. Okay. Uh, oh, sorry. I should pull this up. I have an audio question. Do from, you? Okay. I have an audio question from Alex B, who is writing in about freelancy stuff. Here we go. Someone new to freelance web development, I'm exploring designing in browser, especially for initial smaller projects rather than paying for a Creative Cloud subscription and spending lots of time learning Fireworks or a similar tool. Uh, blog posts related to designing in browser mostly seem to be arguing for it or against rather than discussing the process. Uh, my question is, when designing in browser, how much of the actual dev site should one set up before starting? What's your understanding of what a good in-browser design process looks like? Thanks. Oh, good question. So freelancing wants to save a buck or two, no creative cloud. Uh, what does designing in the browser look like? Like, do you, do you guys design in the browser at all, Aaron? Uh, a little bit. We try not to, certainly not at the start of the project. I think that the designing in the browser gets kind of in the secondary aspects of the site. Uh, we actually, uh, this topic kind of pairs with should designers know how to code, in my mind. I personally think uh, that you know, it's just human nature to take the lightning approach. So as soon as you know that something is going to be difficult, you, uh, you, you, you step around it. So select boxes. If you know that that's going to be difficult to style, uh, you'll tend to not style it. So what ends up happening is you get the design based around what you know is the easiest to implement, you know, kind of whether you know you're doing it or not. So I personally, I like to keep those uh, separate processes. I like the design handoff where a designer goes in and they're looking at what's the best solution. And then someone else needs to actually figure out, okay, now what's the best solution to get this implemented rather than it being right from the start saying, you know, depending on implementation, what's the quickest way to get there. So I like to keep them separate, but I definitely understand, uh, you know, any of the, the pros for that workflow. 
And I also understand the costs associated with not not the software cost, you know, because Sketch, uh, there are lots of apps out there that aren't very expensive. Uh, but your time and the revisioning process you go through with the client, all of those things kind of add up. So I can see the benefits of, of designing in the browser. I just think you get a much more patterned, uh, much more plain end result, personally. Hmm. There it is. I don't have yeah. much of a horse in this race, really. I just design however I feel like it at the time. <laughs> I don't really have clients and deadlines and stuff necessarily. And I often am working with sites that already exist and I need to augment them in some way. So generally, like I occasionally go back to a tool like Photoshop, but not all that often. Just because I, you know, I think it's a little bit of a different process when it's not from scratch. It's kind of a iteration on something that's already in the browser. Eh. Cut a branch, start playing around. Yeah. What do you? Yeah. I mean, so we usually do kind of a mix, right? We do like sketches are kind of our big starting point, and you can start coding from a sketch. You know, you can start making divs and stuff like that. But we like to go to Photoshop for just a little bit more fidelity and stuff like that. We that's works for us. And so that's, that's where it's hard to give advice. Um, but you know, we also like it's for us, it's easier to talk about something in code, like what's weird about it. What doesn't work in a responsive context? What is, what is kind of hard to do and stuff like that. So isn't that generally the biggest thing is that like once it's there, then you can start talking about hovers and interactions and stuff. And that's, it just feels a little more like the right place to do that. Yeah, it be, for me, it, this is my thing. Is is a a website is not alive until it's in the browser. Like I can look at a static comp, and I'm like, yeah, it looks like a website. But until it's like squeezing and stuff like that, it doesn't feel uh, alive. Um, so I do not have a good like how we do this kind of. I, I'm have it's in a talk I, I'm doing this year, but um, I was going to point you to Sophie Shepard has a really good post right now about using pattern libraries for designing, and she's basically done the pattern library in Photoshop, and then now that it's populating in code, she's kind of able to say kind of she says adios amigo to Photoshop. Uh, eventually, event she's working there, but um, it's a it's a pretty awesome post on her approach to design, and then and don't think a for a second. Modular. I mean, Sophie is an excellent designer. You know, you look at her work and you're like, oh my god, you know, like that that's some straight up design. It's not like when Thirty Seven Signals argues for it, you're like, yeah, I get it because you use Lucida Grand and put things in gray boxes <laughs> or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, I, I didn't mean to talk trash. They're just so easy to do it with. You know, like every, it's just the classic. Oh, I'm the worst. Okay. No, we'll do it Move live. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> we're going to get fired. Okay. <laughs> Let me, well, just while we're talking about 
choices and learning a little bit stuff, I want to make sure that we do our second sponsor here, which is One Month. Maybe you've heard of them. They got famous kind of for One Month Rails, which is like a super renowned place to ruin Rails. But they're, they've expanded, and this is the one we want to talk about. This is highly relevant to the future of, of building things uh, uh, you know, for devices and stuff, is iOS. You know, They have a class called uh, uh, One Month iOS. The URL that you want to use for sure is onemonth.com slash shoptalkios. It is a month-long course designed to take you from zero to being an iOS developer. You know, it's fast, but it's like, I believe it. And one reason I believe it is because I'm literally at a one-month health thing right now, a little basically fat camp for adults. Uh, and in a month, I've crushed it. I've gone for, I've, I've lost tw- 20 pounds and I'm running further and lifting more and stuff. And like, you can get a lot done in a month. Uh, and especially if it's with your brain, the ultimate muscle, uh, the idea is that this is a, a an exclusive discount, the deepest discount they've ever offered. It's 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 just for Shop Talk Show listeners, just at that URL. And the idea is it's twenty five percent off the prices that they've already cut down. So it's it's normally two ninety nine to take this iOS class, and it's two twenty four if you use that URL. Or you can take it with a mentor, and that's the way to do it because you get four live one on one sections with a with a mentor. You have direct access to the teacher. You have office hours with the teacher. They'll help you through this stuff if that's what you want. Uh, and then it's a little bit more expensive. It's normally 500 bucks down to 374 if you use our URL. So it's like, and it's this is modern stuff. You're going to build an app that works on your computer. You're going to become an iOS developer by building an app and just doing the job, uh, which is, you know, just build websites, just build apps, you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, pretty sweet. And it's with Swift, you know, it's like, I, I can remember when they revealed Swift to the world. It's brand new. It's the future of iOS development. You're using the tools that people use to build, you know, the most modern of iOS apps. So one month.com slash shop talk iOS. Let's do some more questions here. Do you, do you guys ever think about quitting your job, becoming an iOS developer and retiring on a solid gold yacht? Mine is selling WordPress themes. I think that's oh, where all the, buck, yeah, all the bucks are in WordPress themes. Oh, mine's like <laughs> be a freelance iOS developer and you just, I don't know, you have golden shoes. It's hot. Mine would always be to build my own idea with iOS because I always feel like the really good iOS developers, like if you're so good, why don't you build your a sweet iOS app and profit? No, man. I'm an ideas guy. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I mean. Uh, anyway, but All maybe right. ideas guys and iOS guys aren't a one to one. Oh, but they were right. smart enough to learn Objective C or Swift. So, anyhow, all right, here we go. Pete Phillips writes in. I work as a project manager for a web agency in London for the last eighteen months or so. Uh, I also build the newsletter templates for our clients that they send out through Campaign Monitor. Although I enjoy my job PMing and I wouldn't call myself a developer, I do know a fair amount about the craft and have built a few custom WordPress sites in my spare time. Everything I know I learn online uh, and just by doing. As the sound clip goes, I think the best way to learn is... Just build websites! I do. Well done. Ah, timing. I do want to build websites, but uh, I don't want to change my job. So my question is this. Do you know of any resources or places out there where there are people who want to build a web, want a website built by someone who isn't a pro? Also, 
I'm not a designer, so I'd love to take some excellently designed PSDs and turn them into a functioning site. But designers don't seem to want to give away their hard work for free. Uh, fair enough. If there are any sites you can recommend, take a look at, I'd really appreciate it. Pete sounds like a front-end developer. He sounds like you get a kick out of turning things into front-end code and you want to you know, PM still, but maybe take on some front-end development work on the side. Doesn't that sound like the thing? Like I, He specifically likes taking PSDs and turning them into code, uh, but it's hard to get work doing that apparently because I think people want design in addition to that when you freelance. I don't know. What do you? What's the take you get on Pete, Aaron? Yeah, same. Sounds like a freelance or, uh, excuse me, a front-end developer. Uh, I, I don't know how you guys can be typing and talking uh, Dave, I'm impressed. So <laughs> <laughs> just looking at it is, is throwing off my, my intense concentration here. <laughs> Front end, yes. Uh, you know, I think that uh, as soon as you use these kind of external, uh, the, these uh, Frankenstein teams, you know, not to be too negative there, but when you, when you hand things off and not everybody is involved in the planning uh, of the project, something is kind of lost. So it feels more like uh, I, I think the place to be would be kind of that internal front-end developer on a team. So you can kind of be still, you know, with the project manager background, you're still involved in the entire process, the entire workflow, the, in, the whole project, uh, but you're pitching in. Uh, definitely front-end is kind interesting of interesting perspective. So you think something is a little lost when you're just a, a cog that doesn't have any particular connection to the other phases of the project? Yeah, if you're not a stakeholder in it, you don't know, you know, what the map is, what the what the goals, the objectives of the site are. Definitely, I think you lose bits along the way, uh, and I think that's why, uh, you know, I, I'm coming from an agency perspective, and that's the whole, you know, benefit we bring is, you know, there's a reason everything is done. It's not just uh, assembly line code. It's more of, uh, you know, the goal than the pieces. So. Uh, again, I think if you're a, if you're coming from a background as a project manager, uh, you know, to, to to really be happy with what you're doing, you probably want to be involved in that part of the process, again, knowing what the what the goal of the project is for. My my solution is maybe just tell your aunt that you do websites, and <laughs> the rest will take care of itself. You'll be you'll be busy for a lifetime. Uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> word of mouth, kids. Word of mouth. Uh, no, but uh, it sounds. I would even uh, like say even less than freelancing. You're kind of moonlighting, right? Like this, you want to keep your job, but then you kind of want to do some. Uh, I guess you you said non professional amateur. I guess is the opposite of professional, but like some just kind of beginner web development in your spare time. Um, I, I think you could pick up that work. I mean, just maybe put the hire button you on your code your, pen or something. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But you work at an agency where you're a PM and you do the emails. So he thinks like there's got to be some wiggle room at work to maybe start doing this a little bit. And then you would be part of the larger process. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's a, it, it's, it's a little bit of everything. You probably, if you're looking from a, a learning perspective. Yeah. Put out the feelers in the family. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people have linked to uh, a church site that they've built or some kind of youth group site that they built, uh, you know, when they're giving us examples of the work and, and that came that way. They just, uh, you know, they were, uh, 
that one night and, they, and someone said they needed a website or they just asked, you know, if a person needed a website and, and they're not getting paid extravagant amounts, if anything at all, but it gives them a chance to go in and learn it. You know, everybody needs a website. So there's always that. Uh, I, I don't think it'd be tough to find people who would take a free website. Indeed. No. Yep. Speaking of work and stuff, <laughs> Justin Laxamana writes in, hey, I was wondering how to deal with a boss that doesn't respect his employees' time and talents. I've been working at a small web design firm, and we have a team of talented designers and developers. Uh, it's kind of one of those firms where you learn a bunch, then you get pretty good, but you aren't rewarded for getting good and putting forth that extra effort to make quality websites. Uh, I'm a friend and developer there, and, and there's been a lot of times when I try to perfect my work because it's part of my personality. But in the end, it just feels like all my extra effort isn't appreciated, which sometimes kills my passion for web design. <laughs> uh, three people in the chat room <laughs> just said, quit. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, so there's the uh, chat That's room the, advice. Yeah, uh, Aaron, how? Because uh, you, yeah. you're kind of in the the boss level. Of your team, <laughs> huh? I have to see the numbers, uh, oh. you know, that make the business work. So I, I kind of I get I get the both sides of it, uh, and and I, I I get why that occurs, but. That's a really terrible culture to be a part of. You know, if you're in a case where that's all it's about is the numbers, you know, that, that'd be a really tough place to work. Uh, and I'm sure that's a case. And I think that everybody who's been uh, working in the web industry for the last, you know, handful of years would say that last year in particular was maybe a little more difficult. Mm. Uh, so, you know, part of it, I would say in the case here, if you're looking for a solution is talk to the talk to whoever the boss is and ask them why it's going that way. Uh you know, but the comments are, are pretty accurate too. If it's just not going to get any better, you know, start DTMFA, looking. as they would say on <laughs> right. Dan Savage's. <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> um, well, yeah, don't, uh, yeah, I'm, that's tough. It's a, it's a tough situation. I, I mean, I, isn't if you're good, can't you bounce around a little bit? Isn't that your right as a human being who works and stuff? Can't you just, I mean, do you have to tough it out all the time at a place? You know, I'm sure your boss doesn't love that idea, but maybe, you know, too bad. Maybe. Yeah, no, I think if the, if, if the person who's, who's causing that culture can tell you that it's a short-term thing and it's based on, you know, a, a couple of really tough months or something like that, sure. now that's one story. If it's just that that is the total culture and it's been like that and it's not changing, uh, then, yeah, it's time to probably get out. Yeah. Not to be full synergy here, but if you go over to CodePen.io or ShopDocShow.com slash jobs, uh, like <laughs> people are looking for front-end talent. So yeah, it's been uh, it's been really picking up too. There's a good we three had three jobs posted yesterday that are all excellent opportunities in the front end bracket. So they are out there for sure. It's a particularly hard thing to even hire in. So if you got mad front end chops, I just think that you can you can get these jobs. I'm confident mm-hmm. of it. Uh, I mean, just you- yesterday somebody emailed me looking for a Java developer because <laughs> they heard I did <laughs> Java. Oh my god! Oh boy! Go to bed, recruiters. Ah, recruiters. <laughs> I think there needs to be the difference between Java and JavaScript for recruiters. dot com. 
So there's there's a free website idea. I think there's some universities that need that conversation <laughs> as well. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, next question, shall we? Here's one from uh, Jeff Lupinski. Right, said, how should web designers present their portfolio work in an interview? Should they have a print portfolio like traditional designers, or is showing up with a laptop and clicking through your work? your online work acceptable. This is cool. I, I, Aaron, I assume you probably hired designers and developers at some point. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, how this do you- is, yeah, that, that is incredibly important. We, and, and just to back it up a little bit, maybe look at a little wider lens and just say, like, if you're you know, trying to get a job, uh, whether it's with a client or with a, with an agency trying to get uh, a job job uh, versus a contract, the, you know, you're a web developer, you should be able to send links and a person should be able to click on those links and see your work. Really, that's a huge part of it. Uh, the printing them out, putting them in a portfolio. I've heard of, <laughs> of you know, traditional agencies or, or agencies asking for that to be kind of the, the way that uh, the work is presented. And I just, it's ridiculous. I, I can't imagine not being able to click through some links and you know that starts right. out again back at that wider lens. It's you should have a, a just a, a friendly cover letter. It's not the formal cover letter, formal resume, and you know, let's set up a meeting where I can come in and flip through some of my work. I just want it to be like give me an idea of who you are in a cover letter, so I can get a little bit of your personality, and then I want I want to get right at those links, uh, see your work, you know, ideally and as close to you know the the actual environment that they'll live in. So if they've been turned into a website, that's how I want to see it uh, rather than it being a a Photoshop comp if possible. Mm -hmm. I think that sounds really true. I mean, that's the, the proof is in the pudding, you know? I would bring. I've brought a laptop before, and the few times I've interviewed and, and stuff like that, I, I think it would be weird to the print portfolio for a website out for sure. That's ridiculous. But whether you should bring have your laptop under your arm or not when you walk through the door, I don't know. I'd err on yes. You know, like you're a computer nerd, so it makes sense that you have your computer, right? I mean, whatever. C- crack that sucker open. Be like, check this out. Look what I did. Click, click, click. You know. Yeah. Like. You wouldn't hire a boat captain who didn't have a captain's hat. <laughs> you know? Let's leave that right there. That exactly. is a perfect way to. <laughs> Couldn't have said that better myself. Uh, Andre Solemn writes in, I, I'm a longtime developer that uh, recently started to listen to your show as I've grown more and more interested in the front end part of development that I do. So. Uh, my question is, where do you draw the line between front-end and back-end developer work? Is that something that's getting more gray these days, or is, is there clear, uh, still a clear distinction? Or do, you have, do you employ both types of those people at Electric Pulp? Yeah, absolutely. We, we have programmers and front-end developers, uh, and that used to be pretty gray. Uh, I like a little specialization. Uh, we tend to find people who have skill at, at, at both, you know, certainly they have a lean one way or the other, but, uh, more recently we're trying to allow a little bit more of that, uh, specialization. So there is a clear handoff point. So if the question is, where is it, uh, HTML, CSS, you know, and, and uh, JS, you know, that, that's kind of the, that's the, the tricky one, right? The JS, JS in the is the one. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's where it's it gets into that can go really far or it can be, you know, just, you know, on-site behavior or on-page behaviors. Really, JS is, that's that's certainly the tough one. But, and that depends on the people. Uh, you know, for us, uh, because we, we have more than a, a few people that could potentially be working on a project, it it differs depending on who's who's in the group that's working on the project. So the handoff point is earlier or later, depending on the team dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. I This question I actually get asked regularly, like, should we hire like a front end person or somebody who knows everything? You know, it's, it's tough. It's sort of like, what does your business need? You know, I'd say the people that know everything are, are earlier hires and the specialists are later hires generally, maybe. Uh, just because there's fair. just more more stuff to stuff to do in the early days that you just kind of need somebody that has a broader skill set. I, I draw the line if that's what you're asking for, Andre. At like, can you like architect a whole site? Could could you build like the the whole backend structure of a site, or are you more? Can you you know tinker around with with a theme, or you know do you know enough you know enough Ruby to to to, to output the stuff that you have available to you uh, in a in a in a template, or can you write the controller to? Can you write the model to? You know, then you're a backend developer if you can do those things. Can you? Are you? Is one of the first things you think about, you know, data sanitization in a in a form and stuff like that. That that's ba- those are back end kind of concerns, you know. Where is that data going to go? How is that that going to work? That like is 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 more firmly in the back end area. So if those are concerns that you continually, you know, think about and worry about, that that's back end territory. And then JavaScript is tough, you know. Like I feel like I'm a pretty good JavaScript developer, but but probably stop short of being able to like architect an entire JavaScript application. If I if somebody gives me a JavaScript application that's been architected, I can jump, I can make it do new things, and you know, feel pretty confident working with it. But I don't know. Once it gets to a certain level of complication, I start to feel like, wow, I'm glad somebody else was here to. That 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 can work in that environment a little better than I can, and it's tough. And I'm not sure that you know you absolutely like there's much use in drawing that line necessarily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at the comments again. Corey just uh, wrote swash gap. Uh, there again, I mean that that's an example of someone who's who's very well rounded, but uh, is you know we we say let's let's stay really specialized, but JavaScript. Again, he can go as far as you need. And again, it just kind of is a matter of who's most efficient at it. And some of that comes into play with, like, based on everybody's schedule, who has time to do it? So really, there's there's some luxuries there that you get at certain team sizes uh, that maybe you don't have if it's just, you know, you and another person. But someone in the comments mentioned it's confusing to clients also. And if, if your deliverable is front-end, uh, that's certainly that. That's that's always a big question. Like, how far do you take the JavaScript? They might be looking at it to tie into an API. Well, technically, that's JavaScript. And if you have that listed on kind of the front end stack, you know, you get into trouble. Well, you said you're going to do JavaScript, and this is JavaScript. So there's, you know, you just need to be kind of clear on on what front end is. I think at the outset of the project, so everybody has the right expectations. Sounds smart. All right. All right. Well, 
I think that's time. I need some sad ending music here on the soundboard. But Aaron, thanks so much for stopping by the Shop Talk Show. It's good to have you. I'm confession, been a fan of Electric Pulp since the CSS Galleries days. Wow. Oh, where you guys would redesign <laughs> your site every two or three months. And <laughs> yeah, it was a lot like that. Yep. Uh, what a world. <laughs> Um, but it's great uh, to have you on. Uh, so for those who don't follow you, your company, how do they follow you, give you money, and then what's one thing you'd like to plug before you go? Wow, that's a lot of pressure. I don't know. Just uh, hire us, I guess, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Just, yeah, just leave it that. Yeah, especially for your Java needs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're a Java shop in South Dakota. <laughs> Yep. Well, cool. Uh, and then people can follow you at Aaron Mentley at Electric Pulp. And uh, I'm going to, I'll do your plug for you. Duo. Hello, Duo. Oh, hey. Yeah, there you go. Com. Uh, oh, is that the RWD? You guys did that? Yeah, make sure everybody does a, uh, you know, gives it a good review because we kind of get beat up. Everyone comes on and they're like, you know, I can't, uh, you know, they, they think you're going to change the browser agent. That's not what it was. So anyway, it's yeah. uh, the review. We're getting a little beat up in the reviews. <laughs> oh, but that's, be. you know, that's that's how the app store works. Well, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. <laughs> Man, This I use it. I use it in client meetings because the best way to, like, unless you want to do a bunch of, what is it called, browser wanking, unless you right. just want to, like, <laughs> squeeze your browser over and over, the best way to, like, explain Hey, this is a responsive website. Is to freaking load show this it to them simultaneously. No, yeah, that's tough totally. to do. You know, wow, that's and badass. You put a little browser sync in there. Boom, mama mia, it pops. It'll scroll together. It's beautiful. Oh, uh, what really? So you, it both even both panes will scroll together. Uh-huh. Be- oh my god, uh, mama mia. Let's do a tutorial, Dave. Brave new world. You're hired. I'm. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, anyway, thanks everyone for listening, coming out in the chat room. Sorry about the connection. The intern will be fired. I appreciate you guys putting through with that. Uh, and yeah, be sure to download this in your podcatcher of choice. Vote it up a hundred stars. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Uh, go to get a job at shoptalkshow.com slash jobs. And Chris, you got anything? Yeah, the jobs. Talk? I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a big. That's a big thing. Let's get some more people hired here. Uh, shoptalkshow.com. <laughs>